The Wolf and Bull podcast was prepared, conducted, and hosted by the Wolf and Bull team in their personal capacity. This podcast is for expressive listening entertainment, and any views, ideas, or opinions may or may not extend past the boundaries of this podcast. Conversations or specific comments on behalf of the hosts and guests are for entertainment purposes only. Due to language and potentially offensive topics, listener discretion is advised. Colors of color. Yeah. I'm not going to do it. Yeah, come on. 7 a.m. No, I don't remember the words. I'm not going to do it. You got 7 a.m. down. That's 7 a.m. 7 a.m. 7 a.m. Just kidding. The colors of the wind or something, right? Mm-hmm. Let's get down to business to defeat the Huns. I don't know the rest of that godforsaken song. <laughs> I'm you so know, goddamn I, I, tired you know, today. It's unbelievable. My eyes are melting outside of my skull. <laughs> Can someone please shoot me up with some Red Bull? Did good. you say that out loud? I did say it out loud. Yeah. Oh, damn it. Oh, my God. I'm so tired. Why? Because I'm so tired, Wolfie. Uh, because were you out like destroying small furry animals all night? Howling. Well, you, were you howling at Howl the the, the red moon? I like the moon. Hey, Ooh, the blood the blood moon. moon. That's hey, you! Right. Hey, hey, stop being so bright up there! Did you love it, that? It was I awesome. Loved it. I thought it was the so eclipse. cool. Mm. The mm-hmm. lunar It was a pretty long lasting too. It was it was uh, significant. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I saw it right when it was becoming like it was still looked like a moon and the the shadow was going over and we mm-hmm. were actually in the grocery store parking lot. Oh, I walked outside in my underwear. I didn't see it in the grocery store. Why parking did lot. I need to know that? I just walked right well, outside. This was, this You're was in a grocery like store a couple, parking lot like in your underwear? Before. Yeah, yeah. So said, that's oh, a story moon. in itself. I was looking Bail. for... Uh, he was in a grocery store yeah. parking lot in his underwear. But aren't like we him. all... In grocery store parking lots in our underwear at the end of the day. We well, just have layers. We have layers over. on top of them, I yeah. assume. Well, yeah. not all of us. Well, you know. Some some are depends just on how commando you want to go. Free Willie. Well, I, mean, I, w- I wonder why they even call it commando. It's because uh, back in the days of uh the Forgotten War common. Mind your P's and Q's. Do you know what that means, uh Are we not talking about why it's called Commando? Well, if you know, yeah, but I know you don't know. I do know. No, you the don't. You're going to make some shit up right they now. They forgot their underwear. That's why it was called the Forgotten War. And they had to Boy, go. Boy, that is really bullshit. <laughs> All <laughs> right. The Forgotten yeah. Underwar? Underwar. Yeah, that's what uh, the, the, but no, you know, the Korean incursion police action was about. Oh, I was going to say that forgotten was not underwear. a war. That was a police action. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That that's when cool, cool story. You ever watch MASH in reruns? No, I've never watched. Oh, MASH. I saw show. the music and the helicopter, and then I would change it because I was nine. Were you nine? You what? those were reruns when you were nine. We Trust me, are I know. Not yeah, we're, we're babies. Like PBS, I watched it? them on first runs, not reruns. First runs. Yeah, not quite fair. I, I've never watched it. Ever. It's a great show. It's it's a. Uh, obviously, I say that, and I don't know how dated it would be when you watch it today. You know? It's dated. It was dated well, when I was nine. It was about the you Korean. You know, it's dated. It's so Lisa. sad to say. We tried watching 
was it episode four of Star Wars? I think yeah, A New Hope. Okay, don't you dare! Don't. Stop. I want to try it again because I I literally stop. turned but it don't off. We all How? need a new hope. Okay. We all need a new hope, which is why. Mm-hmm. Hey, I propose watching How it dare, again. Uh, you know, first of all, I you don't need to propose it because it's always I'm always down to watch the only good Star Wars movies. Second of all, um, episodes four, five, six. Yes. Okay. I'm just Second checking. of all, don't include me in your lack of ability to watch as people tell a story as opposed to watch as Disney destroys a legacy. A, a legacy? Story a from legacy-ed? George Lucas. Like S-E-E-D? No legacy. Multiple legacies compounded on each other. Oh, okay. Anyway, welcome to uh, episode 47. I'm the wolf and I'm tired. Um, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Wolf and Bull podcast. Before we jump into this episode, just a quick reminder. If you like what you hear and you think the Wolf and Bull family should grow, give us a like, a follow on Instagram. And if you're feeling super nice, a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And I don't know if Amazon Music gives a five-star rating, but you should just invented anyway uh beowulf bull and i do this in our spare time so any assistance is greatly appreciated thanks so much and i hope you really enjoyed this episode um we know that you will i, I yeah I we need are shoot 100 percent. that I, is our goal i need adrenaline that like is our purpose our purpose in life is to make sure you have a good time listening to this mm-hmm. mm. good. no Maybe? yeah no i would agree okay. with that I'm drinking liquid energy, so liquid energy. Okay, well, um, first of all, how's everybody doing? Everybody good? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I'm pretty good. Um, um it, it's hot. Yeah, it's not hot yet. Well, I can hardly take it. I need to be well, on a I, beach. I, with I hear you, but you're sitting over there, and you got like long sleeves, leggings on. That's because I'm currently marinating in fake tan. And <laughs> you have to wow. like bake in it. We're really exposing ourselves today, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. Being very vulnerable. Listen, I thought that it's was honest. just. Pure, I'd rather have that. I thought than, that was than... just vitamin D from the sun. Oh no! Like, not some me. of us, I some burn. of us just absorb it and radiate the energy. And unfortunately, I did not uh, get that gene. I burn in about okay. 10 well, seconds. let me ask you. This is the key to understanding whether you like to tan real or not. Okay, this is okay. the key to to anybody that likes to go to the beaches and do all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Marshmallows. Oh, I thought you were going to say, have you gone in for a skin cancer checkup and <laughs> tested positive? <laughs> Actually, I think I have a dermatology yeah. appointment coming up. <laughs> you came out of the office and, sir, you are 100% baked. You, you thought you were tan. No, that is not tan, sir. That is, well, anyway. Your skin no, is a little crusty. Marshmallows. Okay. You know where I'm going with this, right? No. Yes, I think so. Sit around a campfire. Yep. You get a skewer out. Mm-hmm. You're going to have some s'mores. And who doesn't love s'mores? S'more, s'mores, or s'mores. Mm-hmm. People who so suffer got... from diabetes don't love s'mores. You ask the they, they, they make sugar-free marshmallows, I'm sure, at Ew, this point. God, really? They taste like the coals. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, I wouldn't but, want to try one. But, yeah, so no. the marshmallows, when you're, you're firing them up and you're, you're getting them going, are you the type that wants to put it right in the fire and have flames flying out of it and everything like that? Yes. Okay, you're a fake tanner then. Mm. See, I like it to be like, like crispy and like, like, like literally crusty, burnt. and it looks like yes, because it's crispy on the outside and then it's no. gooey on the inside. Oh, but see, the best way to do it is to hover it right inside the blue flame, just a little bit, Ugh. move it back and forth slowly. Takes a little extra time. Rotate it around proper, like a rotisserie, 
and get that just perfect brown. Am I on drugs? Am I hallucinating? What I what is going with this on? Statement. Wolf, you're actually alone in this room by so, yourself. There's yeah, well, you. welcome to the Wolf and Wolf and Wolf <laughs> podcast. I, I've never heard any of that before. Um, and I don't even know if I should and jump in. You never in. will again. Well, I mean, speaking of things people will never hear again, which is probably not true, uh, I should probably jump into the monologue. I think you should. Oh, let me charge Long up. breath. <laughs> so, you know, nearly two years after the summer of love, the summer of rage is kicking off. For those not in the know, the summer of rage is comprised of and established by thousands of pro-abortion activists to express their displeasure and anger because of the recent leak pertaining to the Roe v. Wade ruling, as well as an incessant desire to listen to Rage Against the Machine on repeat. Bold, you know who Rage Against the Machine is? Yeah. Killing in the name of... I knew you'd know. I knew you'd know. Yeah, yeah, that's playing nonstop. And believe it or not, if you're living under a rock, you may not know what or who that may be. Um, Frankly, I would encourage you to visit the nearest Planned Parenthood or federal office to find out. In a wild turn of events, not only have radicalized individuals realized that they shouldn't lie about their violence anymore, but they've also determined that slogans like Summer of Love are no longer viable. In an effort by these individuals to scare all of their postpartum friends into submission, they've decided to the best pullout method is to make their views um, it's to take their views of the streets in violent acts of rage against the matriarchy by increasing the monetary value of ice cream scoopers and food tongs everywhere. Frankly, the time to invest in restaurant supplies, tongs, ice cream scoopers, and turkey basters is now. The value is up, the supply is down, and the economic incentive to create a backyard baby fight club has never been higher. And the first rule of ba- baby backyard baby fight club, that's a mouthful, is to never mention the baby fight club to anyone who's postpartum. Oh my god! I had a brain aneurysm when I wrote that. That's okay. You couldn't tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think the ideas came across crystal clear to all those postpartum friends that you have. All I imagine is just a bunch of babies in a backyard, <laughs> and then you got like some like you, you know you Chicago middle aged guy the who's on the Park. back end of uh, his coaching career, coaching two babies to fight each other. Well, hopefully that coach doesn't kneel in the middle of the 50-yard line at the same time because that yeah. could really throw things into a tizzy. Well, but, hey, do you know the, the – what's the name of the inventor of South Park? or the, the Trey Parker. I think that you should promote this idea no, to him. I think it'll come out. They have already, I think they've already gotten ahead of me. Baby Fight Club in the back. Yeah, they've already gotten ahead of me. Yeah. You know, it, it's uh, – I, I, I like the, the monologue, by the way. Oh, that's great. Very well. It, it hit all the high notes and the low notes, and the – it's crazy. I, I don't I don't know how else to put it. The world has gone crazy. I, I thought it went crazy a few years ago. I didn't know what crazy was. No, neither did I. I feel like I lived in a, a haze. Bubble. A bubble. A, a, a haze or a bubble, because there's a big difference. A bubble has this idea that you've been protected from reality. A haze means you're living in the reality. You just didn't, you were too ignorant. And I don't mean that negatively but ignorant of things around you to actually see things clearly. Which one was it? Yeah, it's hard to to say. I don't know. I feel like I've been pretty optimistic for most of my life on most occasions when it came to, you know, any sort of challenge. And, well, I wouldn't say I'm a total pessimist or anything like that. It certainly has become a bit more challenging sometimes to take the high road 
mentally, which is maybe a me problem instead of a society problem. But Well, I, I think, and we may get into this later in talking through our overall discussion today, but I, I think that taking the quote-unquote high road, as you put it, you know, you can go too far. You can be Pollyanna, of course. Oh, yeah. And I think there's a lot of people that are and just ignore the fact that circumstances play a part in our everyday lives. Mm -hmm. But there are people that specifically decide to, you know, kind of look at the, the brighter side of something even when it's dim. Intentionally to, in my opinion, design at least part of their future. I feel like Woody and or Buzz Lightyear in the prequel of Toy Story, when they first developed self-awareness, came alive and realized that they were toys in a human's world. That's what I feel like. Um, now, granted, I know that my little monologue was a little little wild, um, and there's a lot of wild stuff going on right now. And uh, that's, o- that's okay. You can't use the pull-out method at this point. Well, yeah. Well, has anyone really ever done that? Um, so <laughs> the real question I have is, you know, why is it that over the last 10 years, and well, I know why, I know why, I shouldn't even ask the question, but I'm going to ask anyway, why is it that over the ten, last 10 years, everyone seemingly, to Beowulf's point, has been in a haze, only to now realize, even though that the echoes of all these discussions have been around for much longer than 10 years, um, only now to realize that uh, it is all coming to fruition, it's compounding, so... The discussion of Roe v. Wade has been around since the 60s. Um, the argument of Roe v. Wade has been around since the 60s. There's been millions and millions of what would have been individuals that probably were almost as cool as Elon Musk um, who have just been flushed um, like fish on a toilet. Now, granted, I'm not going to be too... Or reused. Or, or reused. Or put in a baby backyard baby fight club. Um, but I, I guess my whole point is this shouldn't really shock anybody. Um, I don't think that it should shock uh, any of us in this room. I just think the difference is that everything just started moving really quickly. I don't think these arguments are. Well, I, I think it's brand new. You guys read Gladwell in the past, right? Probably no, several of those books. Yeah, and you know, one of his favorites, and I won't go into the depth of of it, but the the whole idea of a tipping point. You know, it's been around forever. It's been described in many, many different ways, but it it, it constitutes the overall the idea that there's this crescendo there's this wave coming at the shore and there's something that creates the point at which you can't get go back you can't turn around you can't use your pullout method anymore and you know in in just kind of using that same analogy that that point in which a wave decides to crest is when the friction at the bottom of the wave in other words the ground of the shore coming underneath the the water creates friction and pulls the back of the the bottom of the wave slows that down while the top of the wave is still going faster and kaboom everything has reached a tipping point and it crashes now the interesting part of that is that some people recognize how that happens and can figure out how to ride that wave that's that's where i find it very very interesting where these things occur and i know we're going off the path of your monologue here but this is such a this this decision, and it, is, it hasn't even been fully quote-unquote decided, just the leak has. I'm assuming that's what's going to happen unless people reverse course like Elon and Twitter. But, you know, it, the, the, the fact is, is that this debate, it, it was kind of a bad precedent to set way back then. Mm-hmm. If you look at strictly the law, I'm not a lawyer, so I'm just, you know, uh, aping other things I've heard. But my understanding is that 
this is a uh, democratic republic that the states should be in charge of determining things that are not involved with the Constitution and that the, the Roe v. Wade decision was really a privacy issue, not a human issue, not an abortion issue. And as the saying was from the very beginning, it was supposed to be safe, legal, and something else, rare. right? Rare. Safe, legal, and rare. And now it's become this thing where people are marching on capitals and waving signs around to get out of my uterus and all this other stuff. I, I It's a tough thing to, to, I believe, in a human's right to make personal decisions. The problem is we're taking one human out of the equation. That's the problem with this whole thing. And I don't have the answers. I, I don't disregard a person's ability to try to make a choice. But I also don't want to disregard a life's opportunity to have its potential fulfilled. Um, so I don't want to get too deep into the abortion weeds because this is more of a, an analogy. There's something else I want to talk about that I think is tied into this and then another, or the Roe v. Wade uh, abortion argument and then another instance I'm going to bring up in a second. But I think when it's telling when we live in a society where endangered species of animals have more rights than human beings do. Um, like if you were to take an eagle, which isn't even endangered and touch it, if you don't have the credentials to do so, you can go to federal prison for years. I mean, there's, there's a myriad of other endangered species that according to, what is it with EPA or whatever the PETA, um, there are laws associated with those species and there's tons of them. I don't want to list them off the top of my head, but there's laws associated with those species that if you misplace them. Um, or if you mess with them in any way, you can go to jail for it. Um, now equating that to human fetus obviously is making a broad comparison, but still a comparison worth making, especially if those who live in the society that we currently live in, think of themselves as altruistic so much that they believe that it is the right of someone else to actively and willingly kill their offspring. Cause that's the ultimate freedom of personal Liberty, right? You can get away with taking another life and no one says a word. And now granted, obviously I think there's circumstances in which it's worth discussing. There's circumstances in which it, with it, in which it might be considerable depending on safety and things like that. But I don't think that's the argument being made. And frankly, I think the argument that's really being made and one that we've touched on in almost every episode up until now, episode 47, uh, is the problem of purpose. Now, this is a very broad topic, um, and to give a little bit more insight of where I'm coming from, uh, in addition to what's going on with Roe v. Wade, over the last weekend, there was a crazy situation that happened at, uh, at Topps Market in Buffalo, New York. Um, obviously, I don't want to go into too much of depth here, but 10 people... 10 were killed, right? Including yeah. a retired Buffalo police officer were killed. Three were wounded in a shooting Saturday afternoon at Topps Market on Jefferson Avenue. Um, 11 of the victims were African-American, two of them were white, four of the victims were store employees. Out of the three hurt, two have been retreated and released from the hospital. Um, now, the question that I keep seeing, and obviously this is a terribly tragic situation, um, as is Roe v. Wade, um, and our hearts and prayers go out to all that were involved. Um, in an attempt to respect the victims, I'll refrain from conflating that too much with our discussion today, but I do think that it does have an interesting observation tied to it. Um, and I think both of these scenarios, even though they are echoes of different situations, have uh, quite similar um, problems associated with them. 
the victims in the Buffalo shooting were not fetuses, obviously. Uh, their life was denied them, though, and in favor of someone else's intentions. Let, let's define that a little closer, because I, I don't want to go into the, the Roe v. Wade thing any more than you do. I think I think this getting a definition around purpose, around meaning and purpose, is something we've toyed with throughout probably 40 of the 47 episodes that we've had so far. So I think focusing in on it more, and it'll be an ongoing thing into the future, is is a worthy endeavor. Mm-hmm. But I think the future is what we're talking about. Because it's, it's one thing, uh, in both of these instances, from your preamble in this Buffalo uh, interchange that, that occurred, these were lives that were snuffed out if you determine that a fetus is a life at whatever stage you decide that in as an individual or as a, as a state or as a country. But it's the potential, it's the future that's being peeled away from these, these people. If, so if there's a, whether it's a 60-year-old uh, former cop or whether it's a 10-year-old at the store or an infant or a fetus, and, and, and frankly, in most states, if one of the people that was killed in that store was pregnant, the person that killed that person would be up on two counts of murder. Now, how does that equate with it doesn't. that? It doesn't at all. No. So, but the whole point I'm making is, is this is a this is a potential issue. So it's the potential of life. Um, there, science will decide, I'm sure, as it does with a lot of things, where potential starts. But what we can determine is that if something is truncated, it has no further potential for that well, life. Well, I think the problem, though, and what you just said is correct, but it has already been determined. Science has, in large part, determined in every other species except humans right now, for some reason, that life begins at conception. That's why we learn about all the different types of... Uh, bacteria that's why we learn about all the different types of zygotes that we learn about all the different types of growth when at least when i was in high school in biology and you can't throw that away in the name of an argument that is basically eugenics because at the end of the day we can talk about you know the groups of individuals who are harmed the most about this fetus or not obviously the women involved in this are harmed in a lot of ways psychologically and will be Mm -hmm. for their life um, a lot of them are also harmed physically, um, whether they think that they are prior or after. They don't know. They're not doctors. And a doctor would probably look at them and say, well, you probably would have been better without having that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the groups and parties that are harmed the most by this, though, are people who, in large part right now, are minorities. The largest groups that have abortions are minority groups and uh, people that have disabilities, Uh, Margaret Sanger was a eugenicist. She founded Planned Parenthood. She Mm -hmm. believed in the suppression of minority communities and the eventual erasure of individuals who didn't think or look like her. She also was not okay with people who had deformity. The whole idea and argument of eugenics goes back to the Nazis and prior to that. Prior to that. um, So so this is is an argument that has been conflated. It's still going on today. I mean, we talk about genetic manipulation is kind of tangential to the whole thing, but still is within the same, you know, sandbox as everything else. It's it's trying to to make better what we are as human beings in some way, shape, or form. But that word better is the problem. Better according to who? Right? According to whoever determines what that box of better is. Yeah. 
in a, how is that our ability to do? That's something we, in, in, in certainly in, in religions of the day, is allowed to be determined by a higher being than ourselves. Well, I don't, so. I, I think that the, the, the thing that I have here is I don't, I don't really believe so much in utilizing it purely as a religious argument. I utilize it more as a humanist argument is, is purely from the fact that humanity can't operate at a net negative. And at the rate that people are having kids right now, combined with the the abortions combined with the suppression of of um of sexual activity with contraceptives mm-hmm. and as people get older the less likely they'll be able to have kids as time goes on all of that combined is a net negative for humanity now i can't profess to say that i hate myself and those around me so much to believe that the world and the universe would be better off without us and well, i think those that think in the way of pro-abortion arguments and those that think in the way of nihilistic arguments like the Buffalo Buffalo shooter who, believe it or not, uh, even though the news media tells you he's a Republican, he's not. Uh, you can read his writings. He's hated both parties. Um, I don't think like that. I don't believe that people should think like that. And in a lot of ways, the people that were murdered, as with fetuses, because people can't say babies or children because that's what they become. They don't become dinosaurs. They don't become giraffes. Um, They are seen as inhuman in order to, in the instance of the buffalo shooter, make his argument. Yeah, Um, if if you humanize a fetus, mm -hmm. you don't abort him. Mm -hmm. I mean, you just don't. And, And... I, I, I hear what your argument says, and I'm not trying to say this is just a religious argument. I'm just trying to say the overtones is that we as human beings are taking a leap that we're not worthy of. Okay, We're the ones that are trying to utilize our criteria to determine things. It, I mean, that's a human nature kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it, it's it's usually done over time and through, you know, a, a, and, and it, the perfect example is over time we've pushed back the quote-unquote viability window of a fetus further and further back toward conception. Even if you don't believe that conception is, it is life, but is it viable life, right? when cells are just starting to, to multiply, it's not really viable at that point because, uh, you know, abortions occur all the time. Naturally, the human body gets rid of all kinds of things that aren't working out the way they should to begin with. You well, have to, to reach clarify for the listener. Miscarriages happen. That's a, a miscarriage yeah. is, the, the, your own body aborting its fetus. It, that's what it is. I mean, we can use semantics to define, yeah. but, it's, but technically you're correct. Um, but, I, and I'm, I'm going off the tangent here, maybe too far off the tangent, so maybe we need to recalibrate and get back on the, yeah. on the road here. Well, I, I think, look, at the end of the day, you know, when it comes to the Buffalo, Buffalo incident, when it comes to what happened with what's going on with Roe v. Wade on both sides, a lot of people are wondering, specifically with the Buffalo incident, you know, why stuff like that keeps happening. Um, you know, from a legal perspective, there are a lot of issues um, that need to be addressed. There have been, over the last five years or so, um, or longer, it, legal issues and, um, uh, you know, uh, law issues that really need to be figured out. And I feel like the aspect of that has taken quite a long time because but in you know part and parcel of being uh, a, uh, a a large systematic function of our society it takes time for things to change um so you know i think going down that path looking at options um to make situations like the buffalo um incident um not happen and not shit options i mean actual scenarios that work because this whole get rid of all the guns thing it doesn't work it doesn't work. People can say that it does, but all the data points point against it. In Australia, in the UK, 
um, in in Europe, anywhere that it's hard to get a gun. I mean, Chicago has some of the the hard, the heaviest um, laws in relation to getting guns, and they have some of the most violence in relation to having guns. That's, so it goes back to what we've talked about a million times. A gun is simply it's a, a tool, tool, right? And, um, and you got to get it out of the hands of the wrong people. And until we do a minority report, that's, and have yeah, Tom Cruise come in and decide. Who's going to be a criminal? Who's not? That's that's impossible. You're always going to have anomalies like yeah. this. The problem we have isn't that we have anomalies like this. You'd want to eradicate all of them as humanly possible, but we're human beings, and we do fucked up things all the time. Look at what's going on in Eastern Europe or in Africa at any given time, or Yemen or anywhere else. There's atrocities happening all over the world at all times. You can't eliminate all those, but what you can eliminate is all the wild rhetoric around these things. Because what ends up happening with a situation like Buffalo or with this Roe v. Wade thing or any number of things we could talk about is that the different sides that have agendas that are outside of solving a problem, because they really are, they, they know the data points just like you're talking about. They well, just don't want to solve they don't, the data points. They don't want to solve it. No. They want to use this as a lever to increase or continue to have the power that they have. Yeah. That's all this is. And I, I hate to be so bland about that, but it comes down to that. Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, I do think that society needs to figure a lot of stuff out. Um, now, you know, my opinion, those who engage in, you know, the atrocities like a, like Buffalo or, or Roe v. Wade, they really suffer critically from a lack of purpose, in my opinion, um, to the extent that their purpose becomes the destruction of others. Um, whether due to mental disorders, clinical issues, societal experience, or any culmination of those issues together, the intent to destroy becomes a driving force for the individuals associated with that. And granted, I think that I don't want to attribute so much in so much blame with someone associated with the Roe v. Wade scenario, because I think there is a different type of destruction there. Um, I don't think that it, or in some instances it might be premeditated, but I think a lot of it's an emotional play. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of youth there. There's a lot of, uh, of fear. And now granted, this is all merely just an opinion of mine. And I know both of the issues are pretty sensitive topics, but I think the point is still relevant. I think a large demographic of society in some ways radicalized and extreme and other ways apathetic and passive have decided that those around them existence associated don't represent any real semblance of importance. Um, thus driving our social frame towards nihilism in that nothing matters. I think that's why we have these problems. I don't think that there is some mysterious, you know, uh, social contagion uh, outside of the nihilistic nature of things. I think it is literally people not understanding why they exist and in not understanding that. And by understanding, I don't mean they have to come to some um, enlightenment situation. I mean, picking something and going in a direction. Mm-hmm. Um, they I think have no purpose. And if they have no purpose, they're going to why would anyone else release some kind of dynamic life energy in a direction that's negative. Yeah. And in a case like this, this perpetrator in Buffalo, they're going to take people with them. I mean, that's their mark, well, right? Well, you look at it also from, you know, the, the other perspectives of the, you know, like when it comes to Roe v. Wade, uh, it is a gen, it's a general misunderstanding of human life, in my opinion, to not know the sacredness and importance of a human being, whether viable or not. Um, compared to um, what you would consider a lump of cells, I think, because because that's a that's a that's a uh, that's a very interesting emotional argument that you have to get through if the clump of cells eventually becomes viable enough in your mind to then be recognized as a human being at X point. Because I think every single gestation period is similar, but all, also different. 
right? Not every single one is the same exact situation. So my whole perspective of this is obviously there's the scenarios, the Roe v. Wade thing's a lot more sensitive than the Buffalo thing um, in a different way. But I do think that both of these are on opposite sides of the same coin. Hmm. Well, I, I, the clump of cells issue, um, you know, let's, let's address this because everything has potential, right? It, ha- it, it, it the even before conception occurs, mm-hmm. the potential for life is resident in the bodies of two individuals. And there's a process, of course, that we won't get into on this podcast unless we want to change it into something entirely different. The Wolf and Bull podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we, we won't go there. But the, the, the point is, is that there has to be a recognition of individuality and when that occurs. The idea that it's, it starts as soon as you pop out of a birth canal is ridiculous. Mm. The idea that it, it starts the very moment of copulation is ridiculous too. Mm. In, in, in my opinion, this is my opinion. Obviously, yeah. we're an opinion uh, We're an opinion podcast, podcast here. Yeah, believe it or not. Yeah, <laughs> believe me. Nobody listening thinks we're <laughs> an all-facts-based. This everything. is 100% facts That's 100% right. of the time. But it, so, so in there time is going to decide how we determine when that is, right? And I, I don't know, but here's the thing. I think if you, if you polled everyone in the United States, instead of just saying, are you for or against this issue, but you put on gradations of this issue and mm-hmm. said, first, second, third trimester, you know, uh, rape and incest kind of stuff, or, you know, when something becomes, it used to be way long time ago, it was called the quickening, right? That's long long ago if if something could be felt inside you know if they start kicking or something oh they're viable now you can't do anything about it but before that very moment now you can get rid of it you know and it's changed over time and and it's just like everything else it it changes over times with our understanding and our ability to look deeper and deeper into a subject i think the struggle that i have is when you when you go to the point of conception and obviously it life isn't immediately there but at the same time then what is happening in order to create the life i mean we can go with any question i mean look at look at from a theological perspective if you keep asking the question why eventually you're going to reach a point where people don't know on both ends from the medical perspective you keep asking the question of why you'll reach a point where people don't know and what's interesting to me is from the abortion pro-abortion perspective the pro-choice perspective um their reasoning as to when they don't know is quite soon as opposed to the science perspective. If I sit down with a scientist and I say, okay, well, when is it that an animal has the ability to procreate with another animal? And in that moment, will you be able to determine that this procreation thing, this clump of cells you say will become that animal? Most of them would say when the sperm hits the egg. No, I don't think so. I think if you as said it's progressing, that, I would think I, so. I, it's because this goes back to the viability issue. Sure. And if, if our bodies reject things all the time, because if that didn't happen, that would mean every single time you had sex, you have more than just the possibility of something happen. You have the probability of it happening. Mm-hmm. There, there wouldn't be a net negative. That's for sure. There'd be a giant net positive. Sure. But, but. There's a, there's a point in which, and I don't know this point, this is something that's going to be solved in our future. There's a point in which that clump of cells now can be determined through the help of science or through the understanding of a huge, vast database of, of these things happening when those clump of cells becomes 
truly what is the, the percentage possibility of that being brought to fruition. Where that is, I have no idea. I'm just saying that this, in my mind, and everybody has to draw a line. If, if you're a devout Catholic and you believe that the, the only reason to have sex is to, is to have kids, right? If that, cause that's, that's used to be the doctrine. Mm-hmm. Don't know what it is nowadays. You can hardly tell depending on who's Catholic and hell, we got some of the most famous Catholics in the world that are on the wrong, the other side of that coin these days. But you have that, or you have the pro-abortionists, the, some of them, the, the mayor of frickin' New York City says, doesn't matter, up to the date of birth. Now, see, what? I guess my... I, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think this whole topic revolves around, again, the reason people are talking about this is not just because of a Supreme Court ruling mm. leak. It's also because, as you were saying, a society that lacks purpose is looking at anything that they fear, whether it be... Uh, lack of access to abortion or on the other coin um, killing all the babies it doesn't it doesn't matter there's fear involved and again that goes back to what you were talking about with a lack of purpose I think the to your point though and this is maybe this is me showing my bias a little bit but I think there's a difference between those two I think a fear of lack of abortion access is misfounded because if Roe v. Wade gets overturned, California, New York, a myriad of other states will already codify it in their state, their state constitutions, as opposed to people who have a theology believing that you're actually killing children. Find the lie there. There's no lie there. I think, I think that Bale's got a a point here though. It might get us back on track a little bit. I keep pulling us off and I apologize for that. But you know, some of these issues, whether it's this issue we're talking about with Roe v. Wade or any number of issues we can talk about today where people reach out into the, into the ethers and they've got this, this big, dramatic, world-changing view. Mm-hmm. And they, they go, oh, that must be my purpose. I need to have this happen. I need to make sure that all women have a choice to do this or that you know, we plant more trees than we use or that we stop the next volcano from erupting or we, or, 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 or whatever the case may be. Those are purposes in a way, but are they the right ones? Well, I think that's relegated to the individual. Um, Now, I guess my point, interestingly enough about this purpose argument is I find that the lack of purpose eventually becomes a purpose of some sort, right? And in a lot of instances, if you don't have a lack of purpose or a direction in any way, it becomes self-sabotaging or destruction or destructive. Um, Buffalo, New York guy is a prime example. His purpose became negative in that he was openly stating to individuals around them that he was going to do something when he was in high school. That's a negative purpose. Still a purpose, gave him a drive. He fulfilled his purpose terribly enough. With that being said, the same thing happens on the abortion side of things or on any negative side of things. Look at look at drug use. The, 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 la- the usage of drugs is up to the individual. People make the decision. It is their business. And I, frankly, that's where it lies for me. I can see where people fall into these problems, though, from being bored or from not dealing with certain <coughs> emotional complexes from their family or not... St- um, understanding the danger of the things that they're getting involved with comprehensively enough to understand that they are not strong enough to avoid the addictive cycle. All this stuff comes from the negative side of the coin of purpose. When you have a positive side of the coin of purpose, planting trees would be seen as a net positive. Having a child 
in the grand scheme of humanity would be seen as a net positive for the existence of our species. Just like if you have a dog, you probably want your dog to have puppies if you want your dog to continue its lineage. Well, I think I think you gotta you gotta back up one half a step here. Sure. Because I, I there's nothing wrong with planting trees. I can I can tell you and I don't think I've ever told you this story, but when I was a kid, we lived on a farm. You know that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of interesting stories around that time of my life. But, uh, and that's when I met my first wolf and my first bull, but, uh, <laughs> I won't go into the rest of it, but, but we had back in the back 10 acres off to the, the Southeast, if I remember correctly, we had this big plot of land where we weren't planting corn anymore. And the government came out with some program that there was going to pay for planting trees. And my my folks grabbed onto that and said, hey, this is a great idea. We can get our kids involved. We can plant some trees and we can make money at the same time because that corn harvest last year sucked. <laughs> you know, so, so we went out and plant. I, I mean, we'd have to ask my dad, but we went out and planted. I'm going to make it up. One million trees. No, I don't have no idea. We probably a few hundred at the very least mm-hmm. pine trees. A foot tall. One after another. Dig a hole, plant a tree, dig a hole, plant a tree, dig a hole, plant a tree. Over and over and over again. And I, I felt awesome at the time. I was like, we're doing something good for everything. Yeah, and this is back in Michigan where we were probably the only ones in the entire state with a, a Honda CVCC, <laughs> 40 miles a gallon back in 1980 or nice. whatever it was, right? Mm-hmm. So we didn't give a shit about the long lines that uh, during the Carter years at all. We mm-hmm. were we were gassed up and ready to go, and we were making money on trees at the same time. Oh, too Man. bad you don't have that today. Yes, I haven't had a car in the rest of my life. I'm that's shocked had you the don't same. have a Tesla yet. Well, don't people, tempt me. People keep attacking the charging stations. I, I I have we we ought to have an entire podcast on charging issues. That's a whole different story. Yeah, yeah. But just to finish it off, I I went back to that old farm my parents long ago sold it and moved and all that kind of stuff you know their story but went back drove by the house and was shocked at what it looked like in comparison to then there's another house two other houses on our property there and there was this giant pine forest Mm -hmm. absolute huge pine forest out back yeah and it did two things it went Oh shit, I'm old. That's the first thing it made me think. But the second thing is it gave me a sense of of God, I, I don't want to be metaphysical about all this, but it really gave me a sense of of feeling like I accomplished something. I had mm-hmm. done something that was outside of myself and had some purpose to it. Yeah. But I say that because the problem we have today is too many people look at that kind of thing as what they should look for as a purpose. It certainly should be an aspect of their lives. But the biggest problem is, is they ignore their first purpose. And that's figuring out yourself, figuring out how you should design the next step in your life so that you have the time, money, wherewithal, or whatever to do those other things. That's what's missing in my opinion. Well, I think that that's, I think you're correct. I also think there's probably a little bit more of a meta aspect of that. Um, now just for our listeners, obviously the definition of purpose, (laughs) this is like elementary school definitional standards, but I think it should be set so people understand what we're really getting at. Um, the definition is the reason for something that is done or created or for which something exists. 
Um, now, purpose definitional, definitionally, definitionally and socially is also closely tied to meaning, but they differ. Meaning and purpose are related but separate social scientific construct constructs. Purpose is a part of meaning. Meaning is a much broader concept that usually also includes value, efficacy, and self-worth. So you can't have meaning if you don't have purpose. So this is all tied to a larger social issue that I see. Now, obviously, the, your, your anecdote about the trees is pretty good, even though, I mean, a real world anecdote. Um, now, I think that that imagery and that 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 story can be tied into almost anything though i think that if you want to get good at something you eventually start out your skill level or the thing that you want to do as a seed you're not going to start out or better yet as a spermatoa i was going to say um, a seed has potential for life <laughs> yes but is it life if it's not dead but if it's planted seed, and cultivated seed, are seeds dead or alive I mean, it just depends. See, there, that goes I back mean, to our are, other question. Are, are, uh, what are the what are the the water bears? Are is they it, alive is an or dead? Acorn and oak tree. That's the question. Yeah, but I think that that waters the question down too much because then you're basing it off of a, a specific individual thing that operates different from a but see, water bear, which see, is, this a is small, a smaller than we're, an we're atom. talking about a water bear or an acorn or a person. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And you know me, I go back to these thematic things all the time and we've, we talked about our mobile phones yeah. and their, their usefulness is not defined by the, the fact that we have it in our pocket. It's defined by what its usage is. It's the, the definition of this smartphone is not this chunk of variety of metal and plastic and glass and cover and what it's, it's that's not what it is there's intrinsic things about that but its usage makes it what it is mm -hmm. just like a person and it, it, so if you put it on a, a stack of paper as i've said a million times it's a paperweight if you pick it up and call somebody it's a telephone yeah if you but use I, it on the internet it's a computer it, but now th let me let me finish my train i'm sure you have a retort mm -hmm. you always do which is great mm -hmm. so to me purpose is a value bridge between a a, a, a human lump of cells, mm -hmm. adult, child, doesn't matter. It's a bridge between that person's value as doing nothing or on its way to doing something. Purpose doesn't create action. It creates a reason for action. Mm -hmm. And if, if, if a person has a purpose, large, small, medium, self-absorbed, planting trees, saving the world, whatever it is, then you have a reason to go into action and then you actually become a human doing. That's what you become is a human doing See, instead of a human being. Yeah. And I think that's a really, it's a, it's a cute metaphor, <laughs> the human, the human doing. Um, cute? That was cute. Bulls I like are that. not cute. I like that. That was really cute. That should be a t-shirt. Um, oh it was really good. Um, that's rude. I think I have this giant epiphany. That was, that was a great. Last time he called me a child, didn't he? I didn't. Call now him I'm child. cute. You called me a child. To you you as referred a lovable, me as a lovable, lovable little child. child. That's right. Um, this time I'm cute. Yeah, that's no. Was, I liked that. That was very nice. It was very Pixar esque. <laughs> He's a human doing. That's when Billy became a human doing. I liked it. That was good. That was good. Um, I guess I don't know. I, I think it's just really hard very really no more very thin line um for me personally when it comes to the whole 
verif- the the um, not viability but the value associated um, when it comes to so how do you look at yourself? How, let's go into this. Well, I'm let's, not talking let's about a grown this. adult. Bail. Yes. I'm not talking about a grown adult. I'm I, talking I don't about care. grown adult or otherwise. Okay. Bail. Mm-hmm. How do you value yourself? If there were three key things to think about, how would you value you as a person? Well, wait a sec. Before we dive into this, I want to make sure you guys are on the same page of what I'm getting at. When it comes to viability, because we can talk about human beings being valuable innately or valuable based off of their operational function. I think there's a thin line between that because once we start valuing life based off operational function, we start othering a large subset of society purely based off of cognitive recognition, observation, operation, functionality of cells, functionality of There is a uh, basic value of life. So I'm that, not interfering with that. Yes. So that's you're where... Mis, you're mistaking what I'm saying. Okay. I just want to make sure that's I, I am, so you guys understand. Yeah, if, if the listeners are thinking I'm devaluing life until there's some kind of purpose and action, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm saying as a person, and everybody out there has been stuck. Everybody in this room has been stuck. More than once, more than twice, probably a lot of times. And the way to get unstuck is not to determine that you have no value unless you're doing something that has purpose. That's not my, that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say you go from one thing to a potential of another Mm -hmm. and the bridge to make that happen, to create the value between those two Mm. is purpose, is changing a purpose, is moving that purpose onto something better, different, whatever. And in your case of the, the, when you're talking about the Buffalo thing, it goes the wrong way. Yeah. And we can talk about that too, but don't get me wrong. I'm not saying devaluing anything. I'm just saying the potential is there for more and the bridge to make that happen is purpose. Well, and that's why I guess I feel, well, I don't feel, I think that it's such a dangerous conversation because it's very easy from a observational standpoint to inaccurately quantify the difference between us as humans and other species and people struggle with that today for some reason um you can see that when it comes to those who own pets right i have no problem with pets love animals i'm specifically a dog person but i love cats too um and at the end of the day i've owned a lot of them through my life and as i've grown up they've been a part of the family but they are still an animal and I think there, as time has progressed, at least within our society over the last 20 years, there's been a uh, adoption of them being an actual human-esque part of the family in so much that people would dare never consider aborting their dog. But if an inconvenient pregnancy comes along, they're going to do that instead. Mm-hmm. So I think there's it's it's a ethical quandary and, my, and dilemma. and Well, not really a dilemma, it's just a quandary. For a lot of people, because there's a a line of um, having to almost have an out of sight, out of mind scenario. Is, is that an experiential difference, though? It, because um, uh, uh, animals are uh, pets specifically sure. are an emotional extension of oneself after time. Yeah, uh, but you if, can see that in people all the time, and so there's a a time equation. Yeah, that but you if you had understand developing a relationship with that, sure. But if you animal. understand the importance of procreation and how hard it is for people to exist have children place, and yeah. how it exists in the first place, then you would innately understand 
how sacred that scenario is. Now, granted, I don't want to throw people who decided to do this under the bus. Mm-mm. I think there's quant context there, and uh, you know the 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 theological aspect of me hopes and prays that those individuals find some level of of comfort and that they don't they don't struggle um, with what they chose to do. Um, granted, though. With that being said, I do think it is quite interesting observationally that it is easy for people to develop an emotional connection with an animal that if they were to fall down and break their neck and die and the animal was in a home with them, it would eat them. Then it is for them to develop an emotional connection with something that if brought to the terms of fruition would become a child. That's odd to me. And that's why I like when I look at the quantifiable aspect of things or just the discussion in general um it's a hard one because there are a lot of ethical dilemmas that people just bull right through without quantifying or realizing how much of an ethical dilemma it is (laughs) if you bring up a context that's associated with it on the other side of the spectrum is well what about the rape and incest argument no one ever discounts that argument no one has ever said that that's not a viable reason. Now, granted, I think it's a little odd to punish the child, um, but I can see where that would be difficult. That's also not like it's less than one percent of all. Well, that's, and that's not the argument that pro-abortionists yeah, are making. It's not. Anyway. So I think what's interesting, um, at least you know, f- from the very dark topics that we're choosing to discuss, um, I think there are a few ways that we can establish purpose. Um, oddly enough. Because you think that some people just wake up one day and realize that their purpose is just upon their bed, and it's not. Um, now, obviously, with what Bull and I, and, and to some degree Beowulf, have said, I'm sure there's a lot of people that disagree with us. This is, a, again, I want to reiterate an opinion podcast. Um, but interestingly enough, if you're feeling a lack of purpose or identity, there are a few things that can be done immediately, according to the Greater Good magazine, which is in association with Berkeley College. Um, the number one thing that they had on their list is a read, believe it or not. Um, in 2010, in a 2010 paper, for example, Leslie Francis, Francis studied a group of nearly 26,000 teenagers throughout England and Wales and found that those who read the Bible more tended to have a stronger sense of purpose. Secular reading seems to make a difference as well. So I just want to clarify that there's not like this, we're not pushing for you just to read the Bible. We're just saying that reading and exploring different ideas and opinions is, is helpful and, and assists in finding that purpose that a lot of people struggle with. Um, in a ser- survey of empirical studies, Raymond A. Marr and colleagues found a link between reading and poetry and fiction and a sense of purpose among adolescents. So people who read poetry and fiction, they had a sense of purpose more so than those who didn't. Um, now, by witnessing purpose in others, even through reading, it's thought that a sense of purpose can be culti- cultivated within oneself, similar to a positive or the negative effects of internal dialogue or self-talk, I would imagine. So if you look in the mirror one day and you say, oh, I'm, a, I'm an attractive young fellow every day and you say that internally, you're going to believe that over time, just like with anything. Part um, of what I was talking about with designing yeah because it, i mean bayo mentioned it earlier she's she's started to go uh, i don't know if you mentioned it while we were recording or not but you're getting more pessimistic as as time goes on because of a lot of the circumstantial things out there i said that while, while we were recording what in did the beginning. You? yeah 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 so what did you mean by that well i think that well, this talks about poetry and fiction giving you a better sense of purpose. And I think that's important because a lot of what we read today is headlines and news and makes a lot of people feel pretty, pretty per- 
purposelessness when it's a lot of doom and gloom. So yeah, opening a book that is maybe a bit of escapism from that can can be a huge help if you're feeling down in the dumps. Yeah. Well, I think the importance is um, is really finding things that matter to you. Um, if, if reading happens to be a really strong form of that because um, it push it can help you one push you in a positive direction depending on what you're reading in some instances it can push you in a negative direction but it's a form of self-talk so when people are reading i don't know about you guys but when i read i you know imagine the voices in my head of who the characters would be and i sometimes in instances imagine what the setting or the the, the surrounding atmosphere of the book would be like and what different characters look like and all that and that's a very powerful um and in a lot of other ways and area, forms and areas of life, a very powerful tool that people utilize. It's really more powerful than video mm -hmm. because you're using your imagination to extrapolate. Well, believe it or well, unfortunately, because uh, you're right about that, um, but unfortunately, according to a Pew Research study conducted from January 25th uh, to February 8th of 2021, around 23% of adults say they haven't read a book in the past year, whether in print, electronic, or audio form. That's so unfortunate, too, mm -hmm. because I think, you know, you going back to what you said a few moments ago about reading poetry or mm -hmm. uh, whether it's religious stuff you're reading or non-religious, you know, secular stuff. I think it doesn't really come down to the fact you're reading. I think it comes down to the fact that you're having to think. Yeah. And you're 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 widening the scope of things. You're seeing things both negative and positive, and you're you're trying to you know have that world that's being given to you from somebody else's perspective. Mm -hmm. You're broadening it. Yeah. Well, I think that really accounts for why there's a kind of a, a feel feeling of general malaise and purposelessness over the last few years. Um, I mean, you can see that in the form of the, the, the social and cultural uprisings that have occurred in multiple cities. You can see that in the form of entertainment that's come out. I mean, look at, look at uh, my qualms with Disney are never ending, but look at Disney. It is the same recipe over and over and over again. The same story over and over and over again. No deviation, no creativity. It is literally the same story cut and cut and boxed every single time because they know it works. It gets people viewing it. But does it really do anything for those people? In some instances, it does. Some instances, there's an emotional appeal and there's a lesson to be learned. But I think the difference is that you can't establish an emotional connection to such a degree um, in which you know something like reading a book would do for you or, um, or, or writing poetry or writing a book or painting or doing those type of things that specifically tie to you personally. So you can accomplish something and say, I did this. I learned about this. This is something that I took away. This is something that I, you know, left in the book. All those things assist in creating a human being to a, uh, help them transcend to a higher level of cognitive ability, in my opinion. And you got two years of doom and gloom, as Beowulf is saying, of nonstop, never-ending, we have to fight for the sake of fighting bullshit. Um, obviously, people well, want a level to escape, and if they don't read, they don't have one. Well, interesting, Beowulf said it in in a way a little bit ago. We all have a choice, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the whole Roe v. Wade thing is choice versus no choice, right? That a lot right. of people determine that. But setting that aside for a minute, we all have a choice. We have a choice to read a book. We have a choice to read what kind of book. We have a choice to decide whether you want to take out of that book, whether fiction or nonfiction, the things that are good for you or the things that reinforce something that you disagree with or, yeah. that you, or use it as an echo chamber in a lot of ways. We have the ability to make these, these moves throughout our daily lives every freaking hour. Mm -hmm. You have the, the choice right now to listen to this and take 
our opinion and help it mold your own or to refute it, disagree with it, agree with it, anything you want, because that's, that's what we are as human beings. We're complicated clumps of cells, right? With potential. Yeah. And that's a, and I think that's a, a really good point. Um, I just think that, you know, in today's, uh, very polarized climate, um, I do think that people need to be able to escape, you know, the political, social, and cultural movements that deny any semblance of privacy. Um, you know, they, they don't allow for anything but conformity or, um, anything but, uh, anything they, they don't they definitely don't allow for passive expression if you get my point so you know a whole uh cadre of individuals in society 23 percent to be exact uh, haven't exactly um entertained themselves with anything that might help them escape that um outside of visual i, I look at check out to check out well here's the thing is i look at like movies <clears throat> and video games are fun i enjoy them obviously um they're a good time but videos and, and movies are the the potato chips equivalent of entertainment to uh what you know a a nice hearty meal of a book would be that's my opinion on it uh, yeah they're they're uh, what they called uh not hollow but um Empty carbs, right? Yeah, That's empty, carbs. empty carbs. Empty um, carbs. They'll they'll satisfy empty you. Calories. In, empty calories. Thank yeah. you. Well, they'll satisfy you in a moment, and then you'll be hungry again. Um, but you can't just eat one. Yeah, right. Those uh, what are, what are those uh, those rye little chips that come in the the pub mix? Those little brown oh. rye chips. Oh my god! If they sold those in just one box, hey, wheat thins and pub cheese, man, in a beer. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, so outside of, uh, you know, reading, um, another way to develop purpose, uh, is to turn hurts into healing for others or IE make an honest attempt to care for those around you. Um, sometimes another person's pain can lead us to purpose, especially if it's an attempt to help some great example. Of this be, can be found. Some great examples of this can be found historically. Uh, one of them being mother Teresa, in 1950, she founded the Missionaries of Charity, a Roman Catholic religious congregation that had over 4,500 nuns and was active in 133 countries as of 2012. The congregation manages homes for people who are dying of HIV and AIDS, leprosy, and tuberculosis. Hmm. Um, her purpose was made out of helping others. Uh, another example for those of us who are theologians, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. Um, obviously, for some people, this might seem as a little lazy, um, and it kind of is a little lazy, but screw you for pointing this out. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's still a good point, in my opinion. Uh, you know, feeding the hungry, clothing the poor, loving the unlovable, all of these things can be done without being the Messiah. Well, there, there's hardly anyone today that's not affected somehow by someone they know with um, an ailment, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whether it's, you know, inexplicable cancer or mental, whether physical, it's mental, financial. yeah, there you go. You, it, you can hit one of those things. All of us know someone yeah. and all of us look around and say, wow, I don't, I don't know if I would be the same person without that, that, that person or those people in my life somehow. So suddenly you can look at that and say, the harm of others is creating or helping to create or formulate that that bridge, that purpose in my life. So I've always thought from an observational perspective when it comes to these outlier scenarios of people going postal or making decisions that are violent in a large outburst towards society, um, that it was reflective not necessarily on the victims but on society itself. 
Um, now, what I mean by that is you can see it in a lot of ways through the othering of individuals that are different than you, um, the groupthink mentality of cliques and clubs, the uh, the teasing aspect of um, people who look different or act different. And I sometimes wonder, purely because one of my, my relatives was in such a small category um, that made him and still makes him a unicorn amongst great portions of society. Um, I sometimes wonder if had people realized the effect of their ignorance to those around them, if those incidents wouldn't have occurred. Now, granted, that's a simple a simple observation from a very, very like base level, like almost wishfulness. But I do think when it comes to looking at other people and helping them, I do think there's an aspect on the reverse side of things where if you don't go and help other people, the counter effect can in some instances be as extreme as that. Not to say that those people didn't make those decisions because they did, not taking agency out of the equation. Mm -hmm. I just think that there's with every uh, action, there is a reaction. And there were just some instances where I would look at people and be like, dude, why are you treating this kid? the way you treated him. He's just like you just cause he doesn't look like you doesn't mean he's not as valuable. Well, there's as a, you I are. think there's a lot of psychological reasons mm -hmm. that people, um, deal with others the way yeah. they do. And it's, it's hard to know all the different, you know, minute details of that person's life and why they react or proact the mm -hmm. way they do. But I, I think it's important to note that again, all of us, and I mean, I, I don't know anybody, that can't look around them and see a localized effect of the people they know. And, yeah. what, and what I mean is, and that goes back to what I was saying a little bit earlier, people want to take these, these missions, if you will, and broaden them out to these, uh, that it's the biggest thing on earth. You know, it must be done for the changing of the world. And, and those things are, are, I look at them and, um, sometimes I wish I was more like that in a way that I could look broader and say, this is what I need to do. And this is, this is going to be world changing event or a situation or purpose. But then I say, I always look back and I say to myself, those, those people are missing something. There's something more localized to their own personal geography, if you will, mm -hmm. that they need to look at first. And if it gets enough legs, if it broadens enough, more power to them. Well, I think that you make a good point there, but I also think it should be recognized. And I think we've talked about this before that, that major events only happen from like one or two people and then everyone else gets on board. Yes. The question that I see is that everyone else getting on board who are saying those things, do they really believe that they're going to have a world impact? And at the end of the day, is their belief an attachment or hanger on hanger oningness to that <laughs> thing? Um, does it really have much of an impact? You look at people like, um, that, that, for example, that go to the streets and protest, they're bringing attention to the issue, attention that for some reason can't be found on the internet, a vastly more complicated, more efficient way of getting information out and about to people than walking around on the street and yelling at people. So my question is while you're protesting with your picketing signs during a time of massive spread of information so much so to the point where people believe that there was a little 
bit of a, a funky measure going on with political movements a few years ago. Is what you're doing doing anything? Or are you well, doing it for yourself and your club? Well, let me ask you the question. And I, certainly there is a part of that. I am very sure. There's a large part but, of it. But w- which had more impact on that particular situation, the summer of love that you're talking about, which I think is what you're talking about, which had more impact? The, everybody putting certain squares up on their media or actually people out on the streets um, well, those being are the, volatile for unknown reasons? Without the squares, the volatility wouldn't have occurred. Volatility occurred before the squares. Mm-mm. Yeah, huh? No. <laughs> what do you mean? Not no? to the level of the no. Well, not it to the started level that it did. with out on the streets. So, so my my point in saying that is, there is gasoline and then there's wood. Wood by itself can catch on fire if a lightning strikes it or someone lights a it's match and fuel. throws it on. If someone throws gas on it, arguably the gas is a more effective measure to get the the heat hot mm-hmm. per se. I see the internet as gas. You want to get the message around, go viral. We've seen that happen multiple times. Don't have to have any context whatsoever. Something goes viral and everyone loses their goddamn minds over it. Uh, well, I yeah, guess like a video. Like a video. So, of, of someone getting killed by police. Is so, that what you're talking about? So then my, yes, it did go through the internet first before they went to the So streets. that's my argument. So, yeah, it was well, in that it's chicken order. or the egg. I'm not going to argue your mm-hmm. point here because one's got to initiate the other and the other kind of circles back and creates even a larger inferno is what you're saying so so let's say a lightning strikes the wood it starts on fire mm -hmm. oh i see a fire there let's make it bigger and somebody comes around throws gasoline on it all of a sudden your pine tree forest is gone correct correct so so the 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 question isn't uh, the question in my mind wasn't which is i I maybe i coined or i i asked the question wrong which is the one we remember, right? Which which has the more impact? The the I mean, to me, I looked at the the squares online and went, "That's just a bunch of people virtue signaling." That's all I looked at it as. And now it could have been gasoline. It was gasoline in a lot of ways, probably. But but what I remember in the summer of love is the destruction of Portland, in other places. That's what I remember. Yeah, but I do think that you have to remember that the medium and what you remember it from was carried by the argument that I made a second ago. So if Minneapolis is burned down and there's no cameras watching it, no one knows that it burned down until someone comes from Minneapolis and says the entire city was burned down because the medium is different. But because of something like, you know, blacks, uh, BLM posting black squares or someone getting an, an a innocuous video, whether it's of George Floyd or whatever scenario, posting online with no context, the traction there is what's more powerful. And the reason I say that that's the case is because the entities that have caused some of these issues, not to say that it's BLM, not to say that it's a political party, but just merely making the observation, the entities that have utilized these issues are more prone to find engagement from those avenues than they are to find them from grassroots. You can see that right now with some of the, you know, the uh, the Roe v. Wade protests. There was one down in Arizona, and there was like 15 people there. That's not an effective strategy, clearly. The effective strategy is to camera the, frame the camera in such a way where it seems like there's thousands. And then everyone else says, whoa, everyone's on the same board. Let's all get together and group think our way to success. 
That's literally what it's used for. And it's a very, very effective strategy. And people use it on both ends of the spectrum to get their point across mm-hmm. because that is a more powerful medium. That goes than, back to arguments we made in previous podcasts yeah. about people needing to be more informed or broadening their information, their resources. Yes. So yeah, that's a different argument entirely, I think. Well, but, you're right. But I, I do think that there is an importance there when we were talking about the, the, the you know, the, the second point of you know helping others there is also the counterpoint of damaging others if you collectively get together and you have tools such as the internet to take something out of context or to take something in context and blow it out to such an extent that gets people to rally behind you then your grassroots organization is now a nationwide scenario and i think that that is obviously another podcast episode but just something i guess we got um, got talking on, uh, the third aspect of developing purpose, um, is to cultivate awe, gratitude, and altruism. Um, certain emotions and behaviors that promote, promote health and well-being can also foster a sense of purpose, specifically awe, gratitude, and altruism. Several studies conducted by the greater good science centers, uh, uh, I'm going to butcher this. Uh, Docker Keltner have shown that the experience of awe makes us feel connected to something larger than ourselves and so can provide the emotional foundation for a sense of purpose. These feelings aren't as powerful when they are separate, though. So awe, makes you may, awe may make you feel small in the grand scheme of things, but tied in with gratitude mixed with an intent to be altruistic towards others works quite well. As research by William Damon, Robert Emmons, and others have found, children and adults who are able to count their blessings are much more likely to try to contribute to the world beyond themselves. This is probably because if we can see how others make our world a better place, we'll be more motivated to give something back. In one study, for example, Daryl von Tongren uh, and colleagues found that people who engage in more altruistic behaviors like volunteering or donating money tend to have a greater sense of purpose in their lives. Studies have also shown that engaging in altruistic and gratitude-based behavior also activates similar reward circuits in one's brain, which I thought was pretty interesting. That is very interesting, and mm-hmm. I, I think it's important to note, though, and, and we said this in several different ways, but I think it's really important that you count your own blessings mm-hmm. before trying to bless others. And I think that's a missing point because this, this kind of stuff we're talking about here kind of creates this idea of, of othering of reaching out, of being altruistic, of donating. You know, that the number one country in the world for donating to others is the United States by far and away. I heard of a metric one time. I don't know if it was real or not, but I'd heard it, probably saw it in online or something, but that the, the um, number one uh, flag in North Korea is not the North Korean flag. It's the American flag because of all the food and stuff that's been donated every single box that goes over has a little stamp with the american flag on it i don't know that's a that could be totally false but it's a nice anecdote to basically say that we're a very altruistic society today but what is that based on if you think about it it's not based on just sitting around and everybody in the united states that says i have this purpose of wanting to help others it it has it has a lot to do with your economic viability and your ability to get those things done outside of your own small circle well it's also the ability to recognize the humanity in others i don't know if you've seen a lot of videos online but there's a a youtube channel that i watch that uh specifically goes out and talks with homeless people and there's been instances where someone who is not homeless walks up to a homeless person and that person uh gives that person a dollar for like a ticket on a train why would the homeless person who has nothing give that person who has something a dollar? I don't think it necessarily has to do with viability or the ability to have something. It has to do with the fact that you saw that person as being 
equal to you. Does that make sense? Mm. I'm missing your point on that. <coughs> You're saying the homeless person gave the person walking up to them a dollar for a train ride? Because the person didn't have, supposedly didn't have change, and obviously. So how is that not about economic viability? Well, One person saying, had the dollar, the other person didn't. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying it's not about economic viability. The argument would be from the perspective of the homeless person is that obviously this person walking up to me who has nice shoes, pants, and a shirt is better off than I am. Why wouldn't they have a dollar? They're not better off, though. But See, that's, but, the, but that's, the, the that's a countervailing point that people don't understand about homelessness. Set aside the fact that it's, <clears throat> it's horrific in this country. And it's being, it's, it's an abuse. There's, there's a whole myriad of things we can say about homelessness in the mm -hmm. country. And there, there are people with dramatic uh, psychological and physical issues that should not be out on the streets that are. And I feel for them. I really do. But looking at pure economic numbers, a person sitting on the street doesn't have a mortgage, doesn't have a credit card. Yeah, I think you're conflating panhandling. I know where you're going with this. And I that's think, exactly where I'm yeah, going Yeah, there's with not it. every single homeless person's a panhandler. I'm not saying, I did not um, say every single homeless person at I, all. I get, I'm just saying that there's, there's in this country, If you, I don't know what the statistics are, and I'd love to look them up, but most, the general populace in this country is in debt. In debt. Mm -hmm. The homeless person is generally not in debt. I guess my, my point in that, that that visual is not to point that the homeless person is generally not in debt. I would argue that every person in this room would say that they're better off than a homeless person because they have a roof over their head, mm -hmm. Yes, even though I they agree. may be in debt. My point is just pointing out that when it comes to helping others, I don't necessarily always think it has to do with where you are economically because there's a lot of people that go out of their way to harm themselves to help others, even though arguably they shouldn't do the first. Well, your point of Mother Teresa earlier is a good example of that. <clears throat> so again, I'm not, I'm not trying to broad stroke this whole thing. Mm -hmm. Mother Teresa was poor as poor can be. Mm -hmm. And she decided to, to uh, have her entire life forwarding the helping of others. Yeah, and I don't think every, obviously, to, to your point, I don't think every person obviously has good intentions. My, my whole point is I, I do think that there is a level where, you know, to question why someone would do something for you when it's obvious that they can't do it or stretching to do it is is always something I've found to be an interesting aspect. But anyway, or an aspect, uh, interesting quirk of humanity. Um, number four is to be receptive of what others appreciate about you. I think you touched on this earlier, Bull. Um, appreciate you know, appreciation from others often fuels the work that many do. Um, gratitude strengthens relationships and being able to make, to take honest compliments, just like being able to take honest criticisms will likely benefit you. Um, additionally, I, I think that people, and this is something I don't know about you guys, but this is something I've noticed as time has gone on when, you know, people compliment others, they always say, Oh, you don't need to do that. Or you don't need to say that. Um, I don't know why people do that. Reject of a compliment. I, I see it all the time. Um, and I think that, you know, if, if more people didn't do that, like as a knee jerk reaction, they'd probably understand what they're better at or what they're good at better. If that makes sense. Hmm. Like, so if someone comes up to you and says, Oh, you're so good at that thing. And you say, ah, you don't need to tell me that you're basically rejecting their opinion. Yeah, and everyone's kind of being self-effacing. Yeah. I've done it. And yeah, we've all done it. Yeah. And you should take those things as compliments and understand that we all, and, and I, I, yeah, I wish I would have brought the little quote with me because I used to carry this laminated, the, the five pages of laminations mm -hmm. uh, and what they were as little either quotations or a series of bullet points on, on certain subjects. And one of them was 
the overall idea, and I'm paraphrasing, but the overall idea that every single person you ever meet has something about them that you don't understand and that you should appreciate. Mm -hmm. And that if we learned that that is a fact, we wouldn't always think ourselves as the smartest ones in the room. We'd see other people for that value that they offer both us and the world around them, mm -hmm. in whether in an altruistic way or whether in a purpose-driven way, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Hmm. And then finally, I think the, the fifth way to, to build a purpose um, is to find or build a community. Um, now, over the last few years, I can imagine the amount of people who have lost any semblance of community that was cultivated in the years before. I'm sure it's millions of people. Um, churches, companies, lives have been shut down, quote unquote, at the behest of others, whether good or bad. Um, it obviously is up to the perspective of the individual. I have my own thoughts and feelings, as I'm sure everyone here does and listening knows. Um, and frankly, as time goes on, the more difficult it is to refrain from voicing. It's, more, it's really difficult to refrain from voicing those opinions. Um, all I can say is that in order for those to come after us uh, to live a life like we did prior to all this nonsense, we must cultivate a sense of community, which in turn will drive home a feeling of purpose. Almost every societal structure is advocating for false versions of community, be it social media, video games, radicalized social movements. All of these things have credence in a time and place, but they don't replace actual community. See, is that, you know, you said a false version of community. Mm -hmm. And I would tend to agree with that, but I think one of the narratives out there that is not false is just simply a new version. Mm -hmm. And that version is based on different uh, data points, really. Different perspectives on things that as uh, certainly someone that's older doesn't recognize as my perspectives, but is a, a newer perspective. And, you know, you know, it's interesting because we use the language like augmented or virtual reality today, mm -hmm. you know, the, in how we go through these things. But we've been doing that for centuries, for as long as civilization has been in existence. Human beings have had a certain dictate around their their realities, villages, on the on the plains or in a cave or whatever the case, whatever the case may be, caravans um, in the desert. Whatever it is, hunter-gatherers to, to hunters. But every time we've engineered something new, created something new, we've augmented that reality in a way that the previous generation would not have understood or even looked at as part of their reality. Mm -hmm. So the question I have when we, when we talk about communities today and how things are adapting and changing, how they're looking at different things, is, it, is this augmentation, is it just a natural part of where we're going? Or is it something so far afield from what we collectively look at as our current reality that we can't deal with it in the right way? Uh, I mean, if you want my honest opinion, I think it's a little bit of shiny object syndrome. I think that obviously over time, humanity has augmented different realities, as you said, but those augmentations were based off of a trial and error version of humanity that was built over decades and decades and decades of cultural so it's the norms. speed uh, yeah, of augmentation. Well, and that's why I think it's a little bit of a shiny object syndrome because people will, like Mark Zuckerberg will say, well, look at meta. You can go into a brand new world and create a brand new you. There's no studies whatsoever about what effect that has on the human brain. There's no studies whatsoever about what effect long-term video game usage over decades has on human okay. beings. Um, there's no composed studies on the comparative effects of you know TV today compared to people who lived 300 years ago because we can't do that. It's not a viable uh, um, study, but still, 
I do think there's a little bit of shiny object syndrome from the technology aspect of things. I well, think I, th- I think, I think that you're on to something with the speed of this, mm. but I don't think it's different so much uh, as we may think. Mm. I mean, think, think about there was a time in the not too distant past of, of the human species mm-hmm. that we were all hunter gatherers or then farmers mm-hmm. and, and we were raising crops and doing things. And then there was this thing, this weird thing that called the industrial revolution that started to come along mm-hmm. it, slowly at first, but it gained speed. I mean, over the course of the last few hundred years, we've done unbelievable, tremendous things and created huge cities and have 8 billion people on this planet in a large part because we were moving off of that, the, the, the utilizing the land just for farming, et cetera, and moved millions and millions and millions and millions of people into cities for the express purpose of creating factories to, to, to get this output going. That was something that if you look, if you were back at that time, the people who were sitting on the farms with went, would go, we're, we're doing this too fast. That's crazy. That's a different kind of life that no one would want. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But so, farming's not obsolete. Farming still exists. It, the, the, the well, every reality takes time to... Well, to... Yeah, but the argument of a, a multi-reality, like a, like a metaverse or a simulation, is that eventually the end goal is you leave the reality that you know in favor of the new one. I think the difference is psychological impacts. If, if you're looking at something as tools like industrial revolution or hunting and gathering, the method of doing the same thing has changed. You're, the, you're just talking about a difference in the delineation between um, the two. You're, maybe a little you're, bit, you're, but I still think it's viable. Your belief is that it's a harder line. I think it's a harder line. Yeah, and I, I don't believe that. I mean, mm. if you if you disappear entirely into a digital world, okay? That's the end goal. That would, oh, okay. would be what it would be. Mm-hmm. Okay, but if, if let's say that happened mm-hmm. thousands of years from now, whatever we constitute as life at that time, look back and said, thank God we finally went into that digital world and we're not doing that old stuff anymore. That would be the point of view. I, I, I'm guessing, of course. But I'm just saying this is all a perspective issue. Well, I think that's also a really optimistic positions to take. I mean, we're talking about the ability to perceive comparatively based on what you biologically were born with as opposed to having a technolo- technological advancement be implanted upon you by choice. Yeah, they're two different things. I know you're shaking your head, but I disagree with you here. And the reason I disagree with you here is because I think there's a large subset of society, particularly individuals who are responsible for a lot of the problems today, who have this Jetsons-like idea of the future if technology takes over everything. And I don't think that's the case. The reason I don't think that's the case is because you can see the impacts already, at least at a small measure of the human psyche. We're more depressed. We're more alone. We're more likely to be emotionally driven. We're more less likely to have any semblance of ability to pay attention. And an evolutionist would look at that and say, that's the, the sorting, the great sorting that occurs as things change. An artificial sorting. Artificial or not, it's, Mm. it's happening. If something happens, it's not artificial anymore. It, it's real. It's realized. Yeah, but if something cr- happens naturally as opposed to something that's implanted. Naturally. Okay. Have you eaten a, one of those tomatoes recently that we talked about? I understand about the tomato is not natural. My point uh, is if, if I naturally of my own volition choose to eat the tomato and someone forces the tomato down my throat, those are two different scenarios. Well, <laughs> they're two different scenarios, but they, they're all a consequence of the same 
I hate to use the word evolution, but a, a, a yeah, an evolution of, of processes, of, of things that happen over time with civilization. You're talking into a microphone right now. What the hell is that, that except an engineered collection of, of people's ideas that were at one time simply magic? Sure. And right? I'm not disagreeing and, with you there. Well, but, but what you're saying is that there's a, a natural order and then there's an unnatural order. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to disagree with that because I tend to agree with you, but I'm, I'm being countervalent in this, in this instance because I think that you know, time is what the, the, the factor that tells all these tales later. And eventually these things kind of merge. Okay, well, here's a, here's, a good, here's a good example that I think is something that we talked about. I would argue that all of the authors of the past would see the benefit of all their books being easily accessible today, right? Like, oh my gosh, someone can order my book and read it immediately and it can be read immediately and someone can get my ideas and it's my stories being spread. Right? And, uh, maybe. Okay, well, let's, let's take the premise that they Okay, do, okay? let's uh, go with Because the premise. purpose of writing a book, not only from an author's perspective at one point, is to make some sort of money and also to get your ideas out there. So say that's the point. I would argue that all those individuals would also be sorely disappointed that people are less likely to read anything that they make or made because of the medium has transitioned. Okay, you you gave a a statistic earlier about Mm -hmm. uh, people after high school, 23% of adults. Reading a full book. Reading a full book in one year Mm -hmm. after high school. Okay, why don't we roll back 300 years, 200 Mm -hmm. years. 200 years. You know how many people read a book then? Very small percentage. I know you're Googling it right I'm now. I'm looking. I want to see. <laughs> Google but the, the The reality is, is that you, the ability is with 90% of the people after high school to read a book, and only 23% of them do. Mm-hmm. The ability back then was probably a very tiny percentage of people that actually could read in the first place, but 100% of them read. So the question those authors would have is, would say, hey, I, I, I wrote this book and I had five people read it because only five people knew how to read. Now I have 500,000 reading, but it's a much smaller percentage of, well, of actual but people. I would, but I would still think that the data points, even from the one that I pulled, are wildly conflated. When I was in high school, 70% of my honor student peers would spark notes a book. Yeah. You're speaking so, from yeah. experience, though. I understand. There's a. I understand. Twenty-three uh, percent seems high. Anecdotal. To me. This is anecdotal. I'm using an example, and I'm sure it's probably. It could very well be very high. My point in saying that, though, is it is visible, though. I mean, you can. The whole. It's point, available. It's well, availability. Well, I mean, yeah, the availability's aspect is true. I think that there is that benefit of availability, but as we've discussed before, is too much availability a positive? Because eventually, people like with 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 speeches. Someone can only sit according to data, whatever the fuck those studies are, for about 30 minutes and pay attention, right? Supposedly. 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 I think it's bullshit, I but do supposedly too. that's true. If that's true, then the, the threshold of your podcast or movie or speech should be around 30 minutes to get optimal messaging across, which is such a bullshit marketing Orwellian term. Um, my whole point in saying that is I would argue that an author would rather someone read their book, digest it, and come away with an organic opinion than spark note it to the umpteenth degree because the availability is so high and never really understand what To, Killing Mock, to Kill a Mockingbird is about to the point where they want to ban it. You get my point? I do get your point. Like, but let's go to one of those authors. Let's say it's, uh, I was going to say Mark Twain, but that's not a good, good example. Somebody, uh, Chaucer, okay? 
So he had a specific writing style. He had a specific understanding of uh, theology and of, of the ge- geography he lived in at the time and he, his his view on Catholicism versus mm-hmm. the Protestant church and all that kind of stuff. Very interesting if you want to read, you know, uh, Canterbury, Tales. Canterbury Tales, for instance, uh, which is a great, great read. But he probably was a very specificist. Yeah. I mean, that may be a incorrect term, but if if if... You and I were to sit down and have a discussion with Chaucer. He'd run circles around us with his specific subject. Oh, of course. And you would run circles around him with every single other subject because but, of availability. Yeah, but I don't think that that... I don't necessarily know if that makes for a better scenario or not. I don't know right? either. I, I'm not discussing what's better or worse. I'm discussing what is. Yeah. Isn't there a saying that says that the, someone who knows a lot is... A generalist. A, yeah, a generalist is uh, cursed um, as opposed to a specialist. I, I, I would much rather... See, I think what happens in life in, in time periods is people get very general, mm. and then then they the generalists start to break apart into little specialists within a general scope. And then those little specialists become more and more general within their scope, and those break apart into specialists. Mm. And I, I think we're at a time period now with with information being so ubiquitous that the generalists are fading away yeah. and people are understanding education wise is a good example. People are understanding that, that you can learn uh, any of the basics without anything but a handful of very good teachers throwing a, throwing a video out on YouTube and everybody watches that five of the best teachers for, I don't know, algebra. Who else needs the rest of them? No, I understand. So, and and yeah. then, so now, as human beings, human doings, we can start specializing on things that are important to us, things and, that give us purpose. And from a positive technolo- technological observational standpoint, that's a mouthful, from a positive observational standpoint, I think that's, a, you're right, that's correct. Like, I think that's the benefit of technology. It's the benefit of the time period that we're in. I also think they ultra negative is that with so much information, people are less likely to explore things because it's overwhelming. People aren't given an avenue. They just said, okay, go to college and explore 785 different degrees, all of which happen to have derivatives and subcultures of things. Colleges, universities are going to have to change dramatically. hundred percent. They're going to have to. Well, they've got to become something entirely different Um, because they're unsustainable the way they are. Well, and they're also not teaching anyone much of anything, to be frank. Um, I think they're radicalizing people as opposed to actually giving them an education. Um, But I think, you know, uh, the best way to really wrap up this very interesting episode um, is to leave off with a a quote that we've probably said before, um, but this is a good one in relation to community. Um, To leave the world a bit better, whether by a healthy child, a garden patch, or a redeemed social condition... To know that even one life has breathed easier because you have lived, that is to have succeeded. Ralph Waldo Ralph Waldo, Waldo Emerson. The guy that did spend the time on the pond, right? Mm-hmm. Or was that Thoreau? I keep doing that over and over again. Yeah, Thoreau. Well, okay. I, close enough. They were buds. They, they were buds, and that is a great quote. But I think it's imperative that there, there's, there's... And this is not a theologic quote, even though a lot of people pin it to theology but i think it's real important that that people actually know what the serenity prayer really is and it's grant me the serenity 
to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Hey everyone, this is The Wolf speaking, wrapping up yet another episode of The Wolf and Bold Podcast. We appreciate you spending your time with us and we can't wait for you to hear our next episode. If you like what you heard, tell your friends and family, your neighbors, the local bartender, your doctor, your boss, and hell, you can even tell us. By leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, you can directly help build the Wolf and Bull cult. I mean, uh, the Wolf and Bull family. We can be found on most major podcasting platforms and social media. So what are you waiting for? Scoot on out of here and enjoy your day. But you should probably leave us a review first. But make sure to enjoy your day. But don't forget to leave us a review. Okay, bye.